Lord God, we are so grateful on this day, especially for your word, because you have blessed us with our mothers and the women who have encouraged us, nurtured us, cheered us on through thick and thin. And we thank you for this passage, which in a similar way exhorts us to see you in in so many wonderful ways. And I pray, Lord, that you would now take this passage, which is familiar to so many of us, and take the unfamiliar parts of it and help them to come alive. For your honor and glory, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, as many of you know, I spent the week with a group of guys around a table in Wheaton, Illinois, at the annual 2019 Simeon Trust Workshop at uh, College Church Wheaton. I was privileged to, to lead a group of guys through the Gospel of John. And that was our, it's, the Simeon Trust has three elements to it. There are instructions in how to preach well for God's people. There is model sermons that we hear. And then there's small group workshops where every participant has two texts where you present to a group of other pastors who know the Bible inside and out how you would approach the text. It's good for us to have someone say, where do you see that in this text? Based on the structure that you've drawn up, how did you draw that conclusion? You know, it's very gentle and it's loving. But it's not easy. So it's good for us to get away and do that. Plus, I get to eat Chicago food. And if, as I've often said, if you get a bad meal in Chicago, that is your fault. You know, so it was a wonderful time. And I bring you greetings from my good friend Kyle McClellan from Grace Presbyterian Church. He says he's looking forward to doing Weekend the Word with us sometime in the near future. You know, hopefully we'll get that started up in the near future. And I also bring you greetings from Aaron Damiani who's the rector of Emanuel Anglican Church on the north side of Chicago. Aaron and his team are doing a wonderful job reaching out to Lincoln Park and all those really cool areas in Chicago where people live. Uh, they're really doing a, a wonderful job there. And so, as I mentioned in the welcome, we're going to spend the next three weeks in John's Gospel because Luke is silent between Easter Sunday and Ascension Day. And there's lots going on here in John. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John. And we'll return back to Luke on June 2nd. As we've learned in Luke's Gospel over the since December, the melody of Luke's Gospel has been that you may be certain. That what you believe you can know to the depths of your soul is true. That's been Luke's purpose throughout his writing, and we see it throughout Luke's writings, right? We've seen that. That's why I titled the series, That You May Be Certain. Now, we're keeping that sermon series title, but we're jumping to John, who has a little different nuance in his melody. John simply wants you to know so that you may truly believe in the biblical sense, not the American sense. Because... There's lots of people who say, I believe that, but they're not believing in the way the Bible talks about it. And John makes sure that we understand what true belief is. 
in his prologue, in that beautiful prologue that he writes in the first chapter. In verse 21, he says, And he, he came, that all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. That believing is also receiving in the kingdom of God, John is pointing out there. And if we believe in that way, that we receive him into our lives, we are children of God. And he continues that theme all throughout his book. We get to the John's according rendering of uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, Father. Jesus is praying for the disciples. He's praying for us in the church, in the future church. And he's praying and he's reminding us, this is eternal life. This is how you can know you're a Christian. That you know God. That you're growing in that relationship with God. It's a personal relationship. That's why I say that. Because it's knowing this God and growing in him. You know, if I didn't, you know, I went away for a week in Chicago. You know, I didn't call Kimmy once. You know, would my relationship be peachy keen by the time I got back home? No. <laughs> exactly. So how can we say we're Christians and we don't develop our relationship with the living God? This text is going to help us. This text is going to help us. All right. But you see, that's the melody John's painting. And right before the text this morning that Zach read for us, at the end of chapter 20, John writes, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So over the next three weeks, we're going to see that melody quite glaringly. And if we latch on to it, my friends, it changes everything. So we arrive in today's passage in verse 1 of chapter 21, where Peter and this really unlikely group of guys, they're not at all alike to one another. They probably wouldn't hang out together, but here they are. They've come home from Jerusalem. The feast of, of the unleavened bread, in other words, Passover, is done. They've gone home, and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. They don't know when. They don't know how. They just are doing what they do. And so you have Peter, the daring, impulsive one. You have James and John, the passionate, intense ones. You have Nathaniel, the introverted, contemplative one. You have Thomas, the skeptical one who always asks questions, drives you crazy. They're all there by the Sea of Tiberias, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee. Right? With two other unnamed disciples. And they're wondering what the next steps are. Can you put, put yourself in their shoes? They're thrilled. They have seen Jesus raised from the dead and now he's gone. Now what? What do I do? What, what, what do I do? And so this passage is going to teach us quite a bit on what we do as we walk with the Lord throughout our lives. And so what we learn here is how to take the next step, what it means to cast our nets, 
and what it means to feast with Jesus. All right, this is what this text is about. And this is what John is begging us to know. Taking the next steps, casting our nets, and feasting with Jesus. All right, so Jesus' words are ringing in their heads. And so they're back up probably in Capernaum. Remember, we last met Peter, James, and John with their fishing company in Capernaum. And for three years, they probably have gone back and forth to their boats every now and then throughout. They probably did a ministry cycle and came back. But they haven't been here for a while, so they've been through a lot since the last time they've seen their boats. And so I'm sure in a nostalgic way, Peter just said, I'm going fishing. And they go, we'll join you. So that's what happened. And so I think that teaches us an important truth, my friends. Just that simple verse. Whenever you're wondering, Lord, what's my next steps in my life, in my walk with you, in my career, whatever it might be, be faithful in what you know now you're called to do. And be obedient to the Lord along the way. Show up at work on time. Do excellent work. Students, get to school on time. Get to class on time. Do excellent work. Why? Because you're his child. You're his children. Do the next thing. And you do it all with excellence. Henry Blackaby, in the early 70s, was pastoring a church in Saskatoon, Canada. And he had a group of, of students that were going to his church. And they were going to the University of Saskatoon. And they really wanted to impact the university for Christ. And, and that's a good thing. But he said, rather than trying to do God, build God's kingdom for him, the kingdom has already been built. We just need to join him in the work of the kingdom. So therefore, go to school. Do excellent work. And as you're doing that, pray that God would open your eyes to see where he is at work. And then, too, that you would have the courage to join him in it. Because when, as we have learned often throughout our times with Jesus, when he asks, calls us to do Christian ministry, it's a little crazy, right? Seems nuts. That group of students saw a revival break out at the University of Saskatoon in the early 70s like they've never seen since. Why? They did the next thing. <laughs> they started with just showing up, doing excellent work. And it took about six months. So wait on the Lord, do the next thing. That's not sexy, right? I mean, that, that's, that's not exciting. In American evangelicalism, we say, we're going to go out and do great things for God. To which I would like to remind you, probably not. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm the rector of a church of 180. That's great. I love you guys. And, a great, and I'd love to see the Lord fill it, but you might not. You know, let's just be faithful to the Lord with what he's called to do. And what he's called to give us. To love him. Love one another. Take care of one another. And the next step that Jesus is teaching us. Okay? That's what we do. Second thing is we're called to cast our nets. And clearly what's happening here when Jesus shows up and they're wondering what the next step in their lives are to mission. Because know, they know they're going to be called to a mission to ministry. They know this. But he said, wait. 
And so he's called them, as he recalls out to them from the shore, he really is still showing up to help them to show how, how their mission is going to be like, what their mission is going to be. He will be there to help them with their mission. And so what is the mission of the church? Now, everybody who's ever heard this text or any other text knows what I'm going to say next. You hear that verse, and being from Christ Church, you know the answer of the mission of the church. To go fishing, right? And what does it mean to go fishing? Evangelism. Convert people. Well, quite frankly, my friends, it means a lot more than that. It is that. You know me well enough to know that it is that. It's, but it certainly means more than that. Because fishing, Jesus is teaching us, is a metaphorical language. It's kingdom language. It's moving fish from one realm to another. In the realm of the sea, one of the things we have to realize is, according to ancient people, it's, the sea symbolizes chaos, death, darkness, disorder, cold. And Paul reminds us in Colossians that we are translated from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So therefore, to be a Christian, to be in God's kingdom, is more than just being forgiven. Oh, it, it is that, absolutely. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. It also means you come under a new lordship, because this kingdom has a structure to it. This is what Jesus is saying. I want you to be the community of the king to these fishermen as they go out and about. I don't want you just to bring people somehow into a personal relationship with me. I want you to do that, but I want you to bring them from one realm to another realm. Well, how do you do that? How do you bring people into the kingdom? And I've been thinking a lot about this this week as we've been in John's gospel as a team at the Simeon Trust. And it reminded me of Matthew 5.14 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gets his disciples together and he says, you are a city on a hill. When he says you're to be a city, Jesus chose his metaphors very carefully. When he says you're a family, he's saying one thing. When he says you're a nation, he's saying another thing. When he says, you know, you're fishing, he's saying another thing. And when he says you're a city, here's what it means. It means as a citizen of God's kingdom here on the West Shore of Cleveland, I'm calling you to live in that alternate West Shore. Get out of the water and live in an alternate community by the way you do life. You're related to other Christians in another way, in such a way that you're a city within a city. You're a city on a hill. And you're a city that others can actually see. And that first of all means that if you're going to be part of the West Shore, you're part of the church on the West Shore, and we're part of particularly Christ Church, it means there's going to be all kinds of people in our community that won't look like us, won't necessarily talk like us, but yet they're welcome here. I mean, look at these types of guys. Like I said at the beginning, 
Peter is Mr. Foot and Mouth. James and John are passionate, intense. Let's call down heaven to these people who don't believe. Lord, just burn them up. You know, let them fry. They're like that. Yeah, but then you got Nathaniel. Nathaniel gets called under a tree. He's sitting there being contemplative. You know, he's the guy, you know, who his email would be recluse at AOL.com. You know? <laughs> and you've got Thomas, the skeptic, even though he believes now, unless I see, unless I, you know, I, I won't fully believe. He's that type of person. Well, my friends in God's kingdom, they're all welcome. They may not look like us. They may not talk like us. They, they have nothing in common with us, but in God's kingdom, they are welcome here. And that's what it means to be an alternate city. It's more than just showing up Sunday morning. It's doing life together in small groups. It's doing life outside of these walls. Because we're an alternative city and the way we live our lives in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and where we hang out and have fun. It's noticed. Jesus says, I want them to be a miniature version of my city, the kingdom on a hill. Bringing those fish out of the darkness of the sea into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. What would a city look like where money wasn't an idol? Where manicured lawns weren't an idol? Where the browns weren't an idol? They talk about the browns in this town 365 days a year. There are other sports in this world, people. I'm sorry. You know? Pittsburgh does the same thing. It's sick. Go to Alabama. It's even worse. All they talk about on sports talk radio in Alabama is Alabama and Auburn football. So I told the people who live there, I go, you guys need to get a life. <laughs> Man, there's other things going on in the sporting world than the Crimson Tide and the Tigers. I'm telling you. What would a region look like where looks and beauty wasn't an idol? Where men and women treated each other as people instead of toys and objects? What would a city look like if, if there was the Lord instead of money? Race, culture that really, truly mattered in his kingdom. And so, my friends, he says, I'm your king. Show them. <laughs> Show them our kingdom. Your mission is to draw people out of that kingdom into this one. It doesn't simply just mean giving them a personal relationship through evangelism effort. It is that. But it's moving them from one realm to the other because that realm will destroy them. One of the great things I love, you know, in the, in the groups that I've been hanging out with is there's a great intentionality to make sure that these outfits aren't looking like one group of type of people. Around my table was an African-American, a Hispanic, an Asian, and some white guys. <laughs> All right? It was great. It's about two-thirds white, but that wasn't the way it was 15 years ago when I first started going. It was all white guys. 
It's just great to see an intentional effort. And H.B. Charles, one of our speakers, is the pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. I encourage you to listen to H.B. Charles preaching, my friends. He's an African-American, and the brother can bring it. And he preaches expositorily and gets it right and gets it well. Same thing with the Gospel Coalition. Same thing with Anglican Church in North America, all across our country. We get together at Provincial Assembly. Man, we are a different group of looking people. Praise God, we should. And if our community begins to change, we should reflect that. All right, so casting our nets is joining God at the work around us, praying that we would see where he's at work, joining him in that work and bringing them from that kingdom, letting them ask their questions, receiving them, loving them, showing them, and you working on your questions. By the way, in June, we're going to have a Book of John Club. All right, that's the Gospel of John. I'm just calling it a biography. At the Avon Lake Library in the Friends Room. It's going to be a book club. But you know John's main thrust of his story is what? So that you may believe. All right. So I'm going to run it like a book club, and you're more than welcome to come. I'd love to have you, but you've got to invite somebody. Now, I've learned over 12 years, I used to say, your ticket in is another non-Christian or something like that. I've discovered over 12 years, most people I invite don't come. Now, I'm sure that's many of your uh, experiences as well. You cast a net, and sometimes you don't come up with any fish. So you got to invite somebody, tell me their name, I'll pray for them, and I'll send them a personal email invitation to, for them to join us. But we can't make people come. But this is one of the ways we can do evangelism. Just let the Word of God do its work in people in a book club format. And so it's a book club. So somebody will say something crazy like, well, to me this passage means, and then they'll jump way off out in left field. It's going to happen. And then, as the leader, I'll turn to some of you and say, well, that's very interesting. What do you think? And we'll let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit do its work. So that, there's a pitch for that. That's one way we can cast our nets. I'd love for you to come join me in that. The last point is we're called to get out of the boat and come feast with Jesus. 7 through 12 that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal, charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Isn't that beautiful? It's just a beautiful picture of the heart and the unique nature of our Lord. They've been up all night. They haven't caught a thing. Now, we've been here before, remember? February, beginning of Epiphany, we were here, Luke chapter 5. What's the difference in that story and this? 
Jesus isn't in this boat. He was in that boat. Same miracle. And so, they don't recognize this guy over there on the shore. But as they're hauling in this huge net, and by the way, why do you think John mentions 153? I mean, 153. You know, you, you might mention, you know, a rounded up number, you know. The point is, in the ancient world, those type of details were never mentioned. Those fish were literally counted, and by the way, they were large. And, oh, by the way, the nets didn't break because the type of net that a typical Galilee fisherman had, if they had 153 large nets, they would have broken. You can trust the Word of God, okay? You can trust it. It's great stuff. And so, here we have Peter demonstrating that we, in order to come to the feast and eat with Jesus, Need to be willing to do anything. Why in the world did he put his coat on before he jumped into the water? Does that make any sense to you? No, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think he was thinking. I just think he, okay, it's our Lord. So he jumped out and Peter's like, really? You know, you could at least help us get these fish into the boat, dude. He's only 100 yards. They'll be back in there soon. But there's Peter. Getting wet, and I think this is a metaphor for the real activity of the normal, everyday Christian life, which we each are called to. It's the metaphor of discipleship. Spending time in the Word. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in serving others. Carving out the Lord's Day on Sunday to be with God's people to hear the Word. It's just our lives. It's what, who we are. Because when you feast with Jesus, it's going to cost you. You might get wet, but it's so worth it. Robert Wolgamuth is a Christian publisher. He's a lay person, but I, this guy knows the Bible inside and out. He's an amazing, gentle, loving man. He, he gets up at what he calls zero dark 30. You know, he's a, he goes to bed early. I don't understand that. I, I, I'm not a night owl, but I can't go to bed early. So I don't know what I am. I guess I, I don't know if I'm normal. But, but you know, <laughs> I tire easily. Um, and so he gets up before the sun gets up. That's a vague uh, military term. It just says before the sun comes up. And they're vague because they're not going to let you know when they're going to strike. Um. He gets up sometime before the sun comes up, and at night before he goes to bed, he, his, bed, his office door is right next to his bedroom, and he pulls that door open to remind him as he comes out of that door that Jesus is inviting him to the feast, inviting him to come, feast on the word, spend time in my relationship with you, because I love you so. And he will tell you, there's, there's, there's mornings, it's really hard. It's going to cost you. But the reality is, when you really start to look at the love of God in Jesus Christ, your heart gets drawn. You start to see it. And you walk away changed. Because this is not like any feast. 
This is with Jesus. And you can't turn down that invitation. Same thing with coming on Sundays. It's God through the bride of Christ. I'm meeting my bride today. Come and join me. Can't turn down that invitation. And it's there nonetheless even when we fail. So in closing, I could go out and close this sermon with say, now go and do likewise. And like me, you would fail. Okay? What has Jesus commanded them to do? Wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Well, we have a unique perspective from where we stand here. We are post-filling of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, if you struggle as you're discerning God's will to do the next thing, fill me, Holy Spirit. Help me. And to be content. And to labor and do excellent work. Two, to cast your net. To pray, Lord, open the doors. Show me, Holy Spirit, where you're at work. And fill me with courage to do what you've called me to do. And last, but certainly not least, we do all of that because we're spending time with him. Growing in him. Spending time with his people. Growing together. Because as we do that, he's glorified. And we're welcomed into his favor once again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for this lesson which reminds us that we can come to breakfast with Jesus and that we're called to, to be part of this alternate kingdom. And because we're in this ultimate kingdom, we can shine your light. And I pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help each and every one of us to do that no matter our vocations, no matter our location, and no matter our situation, Lord, we'd be available to continue in this alternate city of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For your honor and glory, we ask these things. Amen.